Sharon Sterling, I'm the Deputy Director for GMF's Asia Program, and I'll be your host this morning. It's a really rare treat in that I'm physically joined around the table by three of colleagues today. Stephen Kyle is a fellow for GMF's Security and Defense Policy and Future of Geopolitics Program here in Washington, D.C. Martin Kensey is a fellow and senior program officer for security and defense in GMF's Paris office. And Michael Baranowski is the director of GMF's Warsaw office. And we're here today to discuss NATO. April 4th, Washington, D.C. will host NATO Foreign Affairs Ministerial Meeting to celebrate the 70th anniversary of the signing of the North Atlantic Treaty. And NATO SecGen Jens Stoltenberg has been invited to address a joint session of Congress. I remember quite distinctly last year, the NATO summit, uh, where President Trump lambasted the alliance members. Uh, GMF had a sideline event called NATO Engages, where everyone was glued to the TVs. We were watching President Trump's uh, press conference and being utterly gobsmacked. There were whisperings at that time of U.S. withdrawal from NATO, worries of fatal damage to the alliance and to the transatlantic relations. But here we are. We're a year later, well, almost a year later, and in some ways NATO is even more relevant than ever, has more support from the U.S. US Congress and um, according to recent polls from the general public as well. Jens Stoltenberg at GMF this week uh, said, uh, I'm going to paraphrase here, U.S. is not decreasing but increasing its presence in Europe. There are more exercises, troops, more funding for U.S. presence and infrastructure. Our commitment to defend and protect each other hasn't changed. So I'm going to throw out two questions to you all. First is, what are we watching for in the ministerial? And the second is, is the invitation to Jens Stoltenberg to speak on the Hill a subtle jab at President Trump, as some headlines are putting it? Or is Trump versus NATO overblown? I'm happy to start on the, maybe on the, on the second question. I think it's, it's going to be important for Stoltenberg to speak in Congress. And the fact that he's invited to address the joint uh, chambers shows the support of the American people for NATO. Right. Yeah, it's a job in the sense that President Trump has been critical of, of NATO, but it's really not directed directly at the, at the president. It's showing the support that you have mentioned in the public opinion polls. It's showing that Congress as a whole is very supportive of the alliance. We can also remember the votes both in House of the Representative and in Senate last year. They are supportive of NATO and this uh, as, as well as this year's participation of 50 members of Congress in the Munich, Munich Security Conference, which was the largest congressional delegation. So I think it's a very important message from the American people to the rest of the alliance that there is a support continuous support for NATO. I would put it as a, as a positive message rather than necessarily a critical message. It's positive in a sense that it's part of this kind of reassurance campaign that Congress has, has done for the last two years. And um, a lot of people in Europe will appreciate that. They, they will see it as a, as a positive support from the population, from Congress. But I, I think we should not make it more than what it is. The truth is that nothing really replaces uh, the support of the American president. The U.S. president is what we're looking at uh, when, when we look at this uh, from, from Europe. So I, I, I get the point of how important it is to have this strong U.S. delegation to Munich and to have all these messages, but it doesn't really change the mood, I think, in Europe. And, and the doubts are not, you know, canceled because all of a sudden Stoltenberg is going to talk to Congress. Yeah, I would actually pick up off that point. I mean, I think the fact that we're talking about it this way actually shows that there's 
something there. And I, I think on the congressional piece, it's true that I think that symbolically it does show support um, from the United States and from the American people. But I also think it's demonstrating a bit of uh, the balance of powers in the United States. And I do think that the broad congressional support is basically trying to assert itself in foreign policy and assert itself that Congress and the Hill does see NATO and the alliance as a priority. And there is concern that the president may not share that, that same perception. I think it's, it's not necessarily a jab, maybe intentionally. I think de facto it becomes that because you do see that tug. I think to the first question that was asked, maybe just more broadly speaking, I think that one of the issues here is the question about American leadership in the alliance, about political will, and about policy. So I think in Europe, we don't actually see much difference when we talk about policy, right? It's right. true. Infrastructure, troops on the ground, money coming in, these are either basically sustained or increasing. But I don't think that we can kind of do away with the question about political will right now. And I think, Martin, when you were talking, that's kind of the thing yeah. from Europe that, that there continues to be a struggle. And I, and I think that the U.S. understands that there are those questions going on. I think Congress understands that those questions are going on. That's why the delegation goes to Europe. That's why we want to have a joint session of Congress with the, the SecGen. But this is precisely why, why it is important, right? So this is, this is clearly not just another anniversary. This is not a kumbaya speech by Stoltenberg. This is, uh, this is a recognition that there is a debate inside the United States about the role that U.S. should play in the broader rule-based international system and within the NATO alliance in particular. And there is a debate between Trump, president, and the Congress. I mean, there have been question marks put over NATO by the president himself. Um, but it is, I mean, this is why it's we are in such a peculiar moment because, you know, Stoltenberg, I'm sure, will talk, and he has talked both at GMF in Brussels and in GMF in, in Warsaw about this paradox that on one hand, we are worried about U.S. role inside the alliance. We are worried about American leadership while U.S. and Canada are doing more than ever, which is also true. I mean, this is, you know, I, this is just not a part of the same reality that is very complicated that, reality. That's why I don't find it so important, because everybody agrees that NATO is doing great, mm -hmm. right? So nobody thinks that the, 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 the military structure or the, the, the deterrence posture is in any way weakened today uh, after all the new initiatives we've, we've taken. The problem is the political situation between the U.S. president and its ally, and the, the U.S. allies. And that, again, is something that Congress cannot replace uh, the U.S. president in this debate. They are kind of putting bandages on, on, on things that are already healthy. We already have a great relationship with Congress. We already do a lot of things at, at the military level. The problem is foreign policy vision, global uh, posture. This is the kind of thing that Stoltenberg visiting Congress will, will not change. Yeah, and I think that that's what makes this moment unique. We will meet for the 70th anniversary. We'll look back over the last seven decades and say, this is unprecedented, the amount of peace and prosperity that NATO alliance has created, the stability in Europe. Um, but we also face this unique moment that I think that the current questions, they're not necessarily about capabilities. Mm -hmm. They're about political questions. They're about political will. I, I mean, historically speaking, you can go back through the NATO alliance and see a lot of points of crisis or semi-crisis. But I think more often than not, they're actually about capability or dependability and deterrence. The difference is today, this is, a, I think, Europeans particularly are asking, it's a question of 
does America have the political will to want to engage in the NATO alliance in the same fashion that it has before? And that comes back to the president of the United States. And I think that's different. Take two other instances where I think are probably the most significant crises um, in the NATO alliance. One was probably about American capability around the, the, the period of the Cuban Missile Crisis and whether or not the U.S. actually had the capability to deter Russia. And then the second was maybe the Euro Missile Crisis, right? Those were both about American capability. Could the United States actually deter the Soviets and keep stability in Europe? I think the question now is, does the United States want to? Because we're saying that the capability is there. We're saying that the posture is there. I think it is the questions that, that we just can't seem to answer around the American president. And I think that's actually what it comes back to with the joint session of Congress is we are trying to reassure, we are trying to say that the United States is in this for the long haul. We, we do say that there are polls that point to American support for this, broad support for this. And Congress is saying like bipartisan support for this is clear. But there still seems to be that question that we're trying to answer. I'm going to ask you a real quick question before we broaden this out a little bit that has to do with the FY20 budget. There was a 10% decrease in the EDI, which is the European Deterrence Initiative, in the administration's FY20 budget request. Uh, the decrease is predominantly in the category of infrastructure. And it um, is the first de decrease after having risen substantially, actually under the current administration. So is this something to be, to be worried about? How do we translate this? Or is it simply that the infrastructure has already been put into place, and so this is a, a, a natural decrease? And is there concern? Are, are you guys even watching the budget request? Or is this something just Washington is like, you know? Yeah, this is okay. something important in the sense that uh, we look at facts, right? This kind of uh, Trumpian uh, world where we have to look at what they do and not what I, he says, you know, like this kind of thing of the administration. So it, it works to a certain extent. You look at the fact on the ground and the U.S. is more than ever present in Europe and, and actually pouring money and, and they are doing their job to uh, increase our deterrence posture. So in that sense, when you see a decrease, you notice it. Um, there, I, I would turn rather to uh, my Eastern colleague here uh, to, to see whether it's uh, something uh, worrying for you. Uh, in France, though, 10% on, on, on the EDI is not something that uh, would worry anybody at this point. Uh, this is not uh, a change in course, and uh, this is not something that will truly uh, make a difference in our, in our relationship with, uh, with, the, with, the, with the threat of coming from the East. So... This is, for me, the question is if this is a beginning of a trend or just a s small correction, right? Because we, it's 10% decrease this year, but we have to remember that there has been very substantial increase over the past uh, several, several year, years, starting with President Obama, then Trump, every, every single year. So these the, the, this funds have risen to, to, to very high, you know, by very high percentage. Now, if this is a downward trend, that would be, um, that would be worrying because uh, the EDI finances infrastructure, but also um, exercises. Exercises are key. When it comes to infrastructure, we are now in the Polish government is in the in negotiations with the Americans about um, having increased presence in in Poland that will have a infrastructure component to it, even though the Polish government offered to cover a big chunk of, of this cost. So anyways, on EDI, I think it's a question whether it's a course correction, small course, cor course correction or reversal of a trend. And I, you know, that's let's let's see what happens um, going forward. 
Can I follow up on your point that you made because you just hinted at what we call Fort Trump? I have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I know. I know. So what's the reality behind that idea? The U.S. currently has troops that rotate through Poland, um, but this potential base would create a permanent foothold. So um, what is the reaction in Warsaw as a frontline state? How is the debate in Warsaw different from other parts of Europe? And how long before we see permanent uh, troops in Poland? Okay. So let's put it in the context a little bit, too. I mean, if we look back four years ago, um, before the Warsaw Summit, there were barely any troops in Poland. There were like 12 um, uh, airmen and a few other guys um, protecting the, the, the U.S. embassy, maybe a couple special forces. Small, small, small footprint. We are now, you know, four years later, after the Wales and Warsaw and Brussels Summit, where we have the... Um, a, a European uh, enhanced forward presence um, in the in the northeastern part of the country. We have armored brigade combat team. Altogether, there is between four and a half to five thousand American soldiers rotating from through Poland. So that's a big change, and that's a you know that's a big change that the alliance as a whole made when it comes to deterring Russia. So what about Fort Trump? First of all, we don't talk about Fort Trump. Uh, rule number one. <laughs> well, the fa- it's it's not a it's not a particularly useful uh, label because it's uh, not going to be a fort. It's not going to be this big, Rammstein-like base, and it's not going to be Trump, right? I mean, it's not going to be something that is only uh, a gift from the president of the United States. It's going to be an American uh, and and integrated deeply within NATO. So where are we? Uh, right now, negotiations are in the final phases uh, of, uh, of, of, the, of the whole process. In the next couple of weeks, um, Pentagon will present to Congress feasibility study that will recommend um, actions going forward. Um, from what I understand, there will be a substantial progress uh, and improvement comparing to what we had so far. Uh, now, the, the question will be about how much of a progress. The big questions, big issues to look at is how one of the things that Polish government requested is to have graded command structure. So how big and how what a level of headquarters this uh, presence will have. How much preposition uh, equipment and ammunition will, they, will there be? What's the overall size of the force? Uh, you know, the initial request was two divisions. No one ever thought it's going to be two divisions. But is it one brigade? Is it two brigades? So that's something to, to look at. But the fact is that it's, it's going to happen. I, I actually have very little doubt that this will somehow uh, collapse in the, in the last Last moment. week when there was, um, there was a lot of discussion, and even in the Polish press, there was some doubts, no? About the fact well, that the, the US press, uh, DOD kind of uh, send different kind of signals. Yeah, I mean, the, the Polish press... On the same day, so one, it's not one said right. it's not going to happen. The other, yeah. the other part of the press said it's happening big time. Okay. And uh, the fact is that that Deputy uh, Secretary of uh, Defense was just in Poland two weeks ago negotiating the last mm-hmm. piece. I mean, we, you know, a couple of us m- met with both of the Polish and the American side, so we have a good understanding of where it's mm-hmm. uh, where, where it's going. I have. I, I would be shocked if it's 
doesn't happen at all. Mm-hmm. I was shocked because it would be not what's uh, in the cards right now. It's also not going to be Fort Trump, right? right? So there will be a there has to be management of of uh, expectations on both Polish side. And on, when it comes to the alliance, this conversation needs to now be broader beyond Poland and uh, and the U.S. The last last point, just because you asked about the permanent too. I mean, the, the the funny fact in the sort of background is that U.S. is in the next year are, is going to actually open a permanent base in Poland. It's just not going to be the Fort Trump that we are talking about, and that's the European phase adaptive approach, the missile defense side. Uh, that is going to 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 open up in in uh, in the spring 2020. So you know, again, this is this is probably a little bit more incremental than than uh, some politicians would want you to, to you know that commu- that some politicians communicated in, initially. But it's uh, but it's certainly moving forward. I kind of have a question on this. So it's it's funny because we were kind of talking about how the policy and the posture seems to be okay in NATO, but actually Scaparotti, the Secura, was talking mm-hmm. about his concerns with our posture. Mm-hmm. I mean, how much does this actually play in the debate in Poland? Very much, right? I mean, because because the the main question is why to have any increases at all uh, in, uh, in 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 Poland or the eastern flank, and uh, the, the only good answer is that the current deterrence posture is insufficient, and you know, and you can easily make the case. It's nice that Scaparotti make made the case. Um, uh, you know, what we have right now on the ground is this big improvement comparing to four years ago, as I mentioned, but it's still what we have is basically a tripwire plus strategy mm-hmm. where these forces are able to fight, but for not very long time, and they need reinforcements, which are hard because of uh, Russian anti-access area denial uh, capabilities out of Kaliningrad. So, you know, the, the, the stronger these forces are, the, the more real deterrent. Uh, posture this this really would be yeah I mean it seems like Scaparotti commenting on it commenting on it as well really helps bridge that to more of a NATO discussion as well about a European posture conversation and and it's key to have this conversation with within NATO I mean this was this is I think quite legitimate criticism both of other allies vis-a-vis Poland and some Polish voices within with you know criticizing the government that this discussion has to be broader and to include other allies, so we maintain transparency and most important unity on uh, on yeah, this. Yeah, because that that was the main criticism also coming from France. I mean, there were doubts also in the military sphere whether it uh, it was necessary actually to uh, to have this base to begin with for our deterrence posture in Paris. But beyond that, there was this really hostile reaction towards uh, a bilateralization. Right mm-hmm. of of U.S. Uh, European defense uh, relationship, and and the fact that yes, the Poles have done their homework into uh, in bringing this into the NATO format, so that it's but there is still this uh, this feeling that the Polish government is doing this to please Donald Trump, and that is something that will lead to the U.S. president asking other allies to do the same. What do you mean the the, the because the. Because of we the name, are looking at the for Trump pleasing us, if anything. Right. Well, the name is just a symbolic, but beyond that, the, the fact that you 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 started as a, a bilateral discussion uh, with this uh, throwing this number, this money on on the table, saying we're going to pay for it. This kind of 
for, for again for, for for the French representatives, it kind of changed the rules of the game all of a sudden. And 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 also some of the arguments coming from Polish officials saying, well, uh, we didn't hear anything when when the when the Germans received new troops uh, through NATO. This is not the same thing, and 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 that also created confusion. This kind of like we're going to pay for American troops to be in Poland, and I'm talking about really French representatives to NATO. This was like okay, this is a game changer. Okay, but let's let's look at it. If it's a really such a game changer, I mean, one one aspect of it bilateralization. Mm-hmm. Now, I think the main problem here is with style rather than with substance. I mean, every single country, France, Germany, Poland already has bilateral mm-hmm. security relationship with the with the U.S. In fact, the big the biggest chunk of the U.S. forces in Poland right now are on bilateral basis. This armored brigade combat right. team. Is is not part of the whole NATO package, so you know. So the bilateral relations exist mm-hmm. now. If I think the problem is when you say, "Well, the heck to with all of you. We're not going to talk with you. We're just going to do it." That's the issue of, of style. Then a question of the two billion that mm-hmm. Polish government offered. Again, there is co-financing from every other ally when it comes to 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 U.S. presence. Now, if it's sold as a co-financing, right, cost-sharing, that's one thing. If it's seen as we pay you $2 billion as mercenaries right. come to fight. I mean, but again, that style rather than, than, than substance, and I criticize the style uh, because in the end, the $2 billion is not enough. Frankly, too, Americans were like, hey, $2 billion, maybe we need a little bit more, right? So, so we do have to be all careful, especially at the time of the cost plus 50% debate that uh, seemed to be going in Washington. You know, I hear you, but I criticize a little bit more the, the, the style than the, than, the, than, the, than the substance of this discussion. But you, you alluded to the fact that there was, a, there was a shift, right? It was after kind of the rollout of the idea, there was, there was a shift in the way that Poland kind of engaged on this going forward. Well, yeah, I mean, th- th- there has been couple shifts i mean for for one thing no one no one is using the fort trump yeah. uh phrase anymore i mean they, and, you know we we did our work at gmf sort of trying to explain what it does both here in washington i mean president trump is a bit of a polarizing figure uh here uh, and just a little just a little uh and you know and it's unnecessarily poking uh, the european allies right uh, so so and now no longer, with the exception of us here in this in this studio, is talking about for Trump. As a, <laughs> no, that's unfortunately not the case because it's such a catchy name that it yeah. will it will it sort will of stay. stay. Yeah. Uh, but it's actually especially among the critics. Yeah, it will stay yeah. for Trump in France. Yeah, because you know, I mean, it's really hard to say. Okay, increased U.S. force structure in Europe. I mean, not exactly the sexiness of 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 for Trump. <laughs> I'm going to pivot a little bit over um, to France because I'd, I'd love to hear more from you, Martin. Um, France's Minister of Armed Forces delivered remarks here in D.C. Um, earlier this week, actually, and presented the question of whether U.S. commitments to the NATO alliance are perennial and said that Europe needs to build defense autonomy. As one of the biggest European nations that is failing to reach 2% in defense spending, um, should France be doing more? And what are Americans missing from the debate in Paris? On a 2%, so because it's kind of quick. So we are at 1.78%, 1.8%, and, and President Macron has um, as a budget to reach 2% by 2025. So that's why, in a way, this is not so much of an issue, because uh, contrary to other countries, we have 
politically, we have a path forward to reach 2%. Now, you can actually criticize this because uh, uh, the way it works is that we're going to increase by 1.7 billion euros a year until 2022. And then we have to increase by 3 billion a year. The thing is that 2022 is the end of Macron's uh, mandate. Ah. So the big chunk of the increase happens after. Uh, his, That's sorry, strategic planning right yeah, there. It's kind of easy to promise for something that happens after the next election. So that, that's where you, you can have some doubts. But in general, we have a plan uh, in terms of budget. Second thing in, is, why is it that Parley, Minister Parly talks about um, the future of U.S. commitment to, uh, to Europe? The debate in, in France is relatively clear. NATO is the basic for collective defense. It is the, ba the, the main framework for, for our defense uh, posture as well. But we need to diversify because, one, NATO cannot do everything. Two, the U.S. will need Europeans to step up and do things that, because of the political situation in, in the U.S., the U.S. doesn't want to do anymore. Uh, and so the big objective of the French is to articulate a vision where NATO and European defense slash European strategic autonomy become coherent. And, and that is the main problem, because when we come to, to Washington, when we come to some uh, other, actually, I would say most uh, European capitals these days, they, they often oppose the two, thinking that the French are kind of trying to weaken the transatlantic alliance to build European defense. And, and, and the big work of the government is to say, no, it's actually completely complementary. And what we're trying to do at the European level is, one, what NATO cannot do, or two, to strengthen NATO. And, and, and so that, that is uh, where the, this, uh, this term of strategic autonomy becomes a bit controversial and, and it's a bit of a, um, I mean, like think tanks, we spend, I think, a lot of time uh, talking about it. People try to, uh, what is the definition extra? The point is that we need to be able to do things when the U.S. will not be there for us, right? So we always use the same example, the red line uh, in 2013. Also, the reaction to the 2008 uh, crisis in, uh, war in Georgia was also something where we could see that uh, maybe Europeans wanted to do something different. There is there's going to be a scenario for a crisis in Europe or in the European neighborhoods where the U.S. will not be there for us or not to the extent that we wish they would. And, 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 and that is something that we need to prepare. In Paris, this is extremely consensual. Like, there's no debate whatsoever about articulating NATO and European defense together. This is not an opposition. This is complementary, and it shouldn't be a debate. And then the French officials go outside our borders, and they figure out, wow, the rest of the world doesn't think like us. The rest of the world is not France. Surprise. Uh, but, uh, and then we have to explain these things that kind of come really naturally to, uh, I think, the French strategic uh, community. People are not buying this. Yeah, this I know. This is the thing, right? I mean, because, first of all, the term is unhelpful. Mm -hmm. It's maybe not as unhelpful as for Trump to term, but it's, <laughs> you know, it, it communicates the message that it's actually not something that aims to strengthen NATO, that it's there because Europe can no longer count on the U.S. And it also is politically a reaction to the, the, the doubts that President Trump has created over, over the alliance that we set in the beginning. And so I think this requires quite a bit of more debates and, and massaging what actually, where do we want to act, in what ways, what do we need for it. And, you know, in countries like, like my own, like in capitals like, like Warsaw, the focus, and I think here there's a lot of potential overlap, 
we think that the focus should be much more on the new capabilities rather than new structures. And capabilities are needed in order to be able to act when the U.S. doesn't want to act with us right. as Europeans. But we, we, we're not talking so much about new structures, are we? Like there, there is the, the, the European Intervention Initiative, but beyond that, there's not so many new structures that have been created. Yeah, but it's it gives this impression that it's more, well, you know, this is all in the context also of the European Army debate, right? It's the, in the context of, I mean, both President Macron and, and Merkel talked yeah. about this. So th this is where it's, I, you know, I would fully buy into what you said, that this is in order to strengthen NATO and give us ability to act when the U.S. doesn't want to mm -hmm. act. Now, that's that's not how this is uh, Yeah, of course, this is not how it is understood. It's just... I mean, again, it's it's something always funny to see French people going abroad and figure out, yeah. wow, we have to explain ourselves. It's not only to strengthen NATO, but it's to make make the, to, to, to make sure that the Americans are still interested in us. And the Americans don't only want us to um, make sure that Europe is secure, that we have capabilities, mm -hmm. but they also want us, to a certain extent, to take care of our neighborhoods. Absolutely. And, and, but and they so, want capabilities, right? Right. I mean, that's... But, but beyond that, uh, the, 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 the case that the French are trying to build is to say Americans should still care about Europe because we're going to be able to do things in our neighborhood, in the MENA, basically, that you guys don't want to touch anymore. Mm -hmm. and, and that is something we have to do at the European level because this is not a NATO thing. The Americans don't want to go to, I don't know, another country in North Africa where it would collapse. This is only a European thing. And, and so you should take, uh, talking to Washington, you should take us seriously. We are credible partners. We're going to be good partners. Um, so it's, it's beyond NATO. It's really about the transatlantic link at this point. We have spent countless hours, I think, in Washington and Europe debating this term strategic autonomy. I think to the extent that, that it is doing what you're saying, Martin, that it is Europeans taking more responsibility in their neighborhood, I think like there is no American opposition to that. There is a broad consensus supporting that. I think that the concern really does hinge on this idea of strategic departure, like in a sense that, that it is in reaction to the U.S., that there are there's some hedging going on and that that could actually facilitate strategic decoupling. Like that could actually create yeah, a I mean, fait accompli uh, that like that we and, and I'm not saying it's it's correct, but. It is a massaging thing. It is a PR campaign so it's thing. A, it's a, if it's just a, mes a message, a style thing, as yeah. you said before, all right. But the truth is that we look at European capabilities, like, there's no way we are uncoupling. Like, they, yeah, we, this is ridiculous, no, this whole idea. Like, we have absolutely no ability yeah. to be an uh, independent power to that. So, so this kind of uh, suspicion is a bit ridiculous. Like, this is, the, this is not, or the same about Europe replacing or duplicating NATO. Look at what we have uh, at NATO level, what we have at EU level. This is like giant and a, and a, and a very, very, very small little thing starting. So uh, that's why it's difficult. This, the last thing I would say is that the French are, are starting, not starting. They, they, they believe that beyond that, Americans are particularly, particularly concerned about uh, industrial implications of, of European strategic autonomy. It's all about will you continue to buy our kids, right? And, and that um, there is almost this suspicion that the, 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 the concern in Washington about this term is a, 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 a false flag and that the real thing is make sure that the, the Europeans continue to buy America. I think this is part of it. I wouldn't. I would. I, I think it's too convenient to say that it's all. In no, a, not in all a, of it, but, but yeah. you know, because because it's a it's a question. I mean, it's part of the strategic autonomy debate is how do you use 
European funds, right? How do you use European Defense Fund? And I know we have to move to the next question, but so, you know, and it is a bit of a debate within Europe as well, because mm-hmm. there are countries, especially in my part of Europe, that will continue want to buy American because it increases interoperability, because it has a political dimension to it. Because it's the best so kit. Uh, sometimes, sometimes it's, it's exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, so so there is this, this, this piece of it, but I think the political message is also, you know, it's also a very important part of this because, you know, this is not existing in a vacuum. It is, it does exist in the in the context of the debate or at least messages about European Army, European aircraft carrier, about countering the, uh, the, the weight of China, Russia, and America, mm-hmm. although this was misquoted a little bit maybe from President yeah. Macron. So I don't think we can easily dismiss it. So I know that we all have to go. We have a hard stop. I'm going to steal 30 seconds to do a lightning round. My question to all of you is, if tomorrow you became the NATO Secretary General, what would you make your priority? Convince the Americans that Europe is not a problem for NATO. Steve? Or European, American will not be a sec gen. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I actually think that the current sec gen is doing a very good job at trying to send the right political messages. I don't know if I would actually do that much differently. I I think given the debate that we were just having about, you know, conversations about the direction of European defense and the internal politics of that within Europe, this idea of high-level political messaging from the United States and what that could mean for the alliance, this is a fairly difficult period. And I actually think the current Secretary General is doing a fairly decent job at managing a a fairly fairly challenging situation. Yeah, no, I think he's doing a good job in in a very hard moment. I mean, there are two things that we haven't talked about and that that will be on the agenda. Only two? There was a long list. (laughs) One is we clearly know that eventually Europeans and Americans will have to talk harder and more in depth about China, right? And this is, in fact, what Americans are trying to put on the agenda of this upcoming ministerial. And there are no easy answers. I mean, we know that this is going to be a very difficult discussion. So that's that's one thing that we, you know, have to start doing. The other thing is, you know, this is, again, a bad moment. But we are now over 10 years since the last strategic concept of NATO, right? So this would be one, you know, we actually should start uh, thinking about just actually putting the, the concepts that are all already already there in the communiques and actually putting them in the in the in the strategic concept that has to be renewed and 70th anniversary is a good moment to task people uh, uh, task task you know a NATO with with doing this isn't it a bit of a Pandora's box though well, like if Pandora we open box. this thing up like... hey look no, no it, it's definitely a Pandora box but the fact that we don't have one and that it's definitely a time, and now it's 70th anniversary, not having new strategic concept is also part of a message. But yeah, I agree that this is a super difficult thing. Yeah, I, I mean, I wouldn't want us to end on, like, the challenging note. Like, I do think... Kumbaya. It's not, it's, <laughs> it's not totally kumbaya, but, I mean, we, we certainly are facing, I think, a uniquely challenging moment in the alliance. We faced other challenging moments in the alliance, and I think that, like, we still... Because this is kind of a moment to actually look back on what the last 70 years have meant. And it's pretty incredible, actually, the, I think, the period of peace. Absolutely. Stability that we've 70, NATO being 70 years young. And surviving longer than many other alliances. So thank you all for taking time out this morning uh, to join us for this podcast. Uh, GMF has the NATO Engages event on April 3rd 
And that's something that's put together with the Atlantic Council and the Munich Security Conference. Hope to see many of you there. And I'm sure GMF will be doing podcasting and interviews on the sidelines of that. So keep an eye out for future podcasts on this topic. Again, thanks so much for joining me today. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Out of Order, a German Marshall Fund podcast. The show is produced by Zachary Tarrant and me, Sydney Simon. The hosts are Peter Sparding and Rachel Tausenfreund. And a special thanks to Albin Bochon and Marie Lowell for production assistance.